0: Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, bow hunters have taken out a surprising number of deer in Pittsburgh parks. The city school board is considering closing or consolidating school buildings again, and so many of our city's institutions are striking or thinking about striking. Plus, we've got an update on Pittsburgh's latest multi-million dollar proposal. It's October 20th, the Friday News Roundup. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. I'm with CityCast producers Mallory Falk. Good morning. And Sophia Lowe. Hey there. Hey, Um, we've got so much to talk about today. There's a bunch of updates to shows that we've done recently in the last few months. And we wanted to just make sure that we were, I don't know, filling in the gaps, talking about what happened after the show. Yeah, we just want to make
1: sure that we're continuing to follow these stories, continuing to bring you the latest updates.
0: Yeah. So Megan, what's up first? First, a little Pittsburgh Public Schools update. Earlier this week, if you listened, we had a show about our city's population. Not exactly declining, but definitely not growing. And one of the reasons that we struggle to get people to move here, at least that our city officials have cited, is the quality, real or perceived, of the city's school district. And Mallory, you saw some not so great news about that.
1: Yeah, uh, so every year school districts are required to tell the state how many kids they have. Not just the number of kids that are supposed to attend, the districted number, but the number of kids who actually have been attending. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So the numbers are in and enrollment dropped again this year. Um, And there's also concern about not having enough money for the district soon. Um, Excellent. (laughs) So once again, uh, Pittsburgh Public Schools is talking about closing and consolidating some schools.
0: You know, I'd completely forgotten about the last round of proposals about that until you brought this up this week. I think it was back in 2021. Mm-hmm. The school board proposed closing six schools. Um, thank you for finding the list for me. Uh, Wool Slayer, K-5, uh, Pittsburgh Montessori, Fulton, Miller, K-5, Manchester and Morrow. But that got tabled at the time um, because board members said that the district hadn't done enough community engagement around letting people know that their school could go away. Yeah, uh-huh. I
1: totally get it because school closures, they're usually pretty unpopular. They're generally painful. Um, so I see why they decided to just kind of table that. And then
0: the pandemic, too, on top of that.
1: Yeah, exactly. There would already been so much disruption to everyone's educations. Um, but yeah, here we are again. So now that we're back to this
2: unpopular conversation, what are the latest updates about it?
1: Yeah, so at a school board meeting last week, the district's chief financial officer said that right now PPS has the capacity to house 40,000 students, and that's basically double the number of students who are actually enrolled in the district. Oh, that's
0: a really big difference. That totally tracks. And I wonder if that capacity figure is in relation to the buildings that they currently occupy or if it's all of their real estate holdings, because the district still owns a bunch of schools that closed years and years ago, in addition to the ones that are still operable. I always wonder how they, you know, mess with the numbers there.
1: I don't actually know about that, but the financial officer said, you know, the district is doing okay financially for this coming year. That's good. But could be in trouble by 2025. That's less good. Not that far away. Um Partly, at least he said, because of rising tuition payments at charter and cyber schools, which, you know, the district is on the hook for.
0: Right. Um, You know, I've only witnessed school closures from afar, like as an editor um, or a community member, not a reporter or a parent or a student. It seems really, really tough.
1: Yeah. I mean, back when I was an education reporter in New Orleans, I was covering school closures a lot. It was slightly different. It wasn't because of declining enrollment and downsizing there. The city was in the midst of becoming a city entirely of charter schools, which get shut down if they don't meet certain like performance metrics every year. Some of them had some scandalous stuff going on that led to their closures, too. But yeah, it was always really challenging. You know, some of these schools, they're kind of pillars of their uh, neighborhoods and communities. And so to lose that has an impact on the community. And then for students, you know, getting shuffled from one school to another, having to start over, um, losing the source of stability in your life can be really, really challenging. Um, and so it was always even for schools where where people felt that, you know, maybe their kids weren't getting the most solid education. It was still a really harmful painful process for them
0: yeah i mean usually it's i want my school to be better not i want my school to go away like there's it gets so complicated like with rivalries for example You know, like at the high school level, you know, maybe your dad, your grandpa, your great grandpa went to that school like you, you know. Yeah, there's a really deep connection there. I know. And then suddenly you have you belong to the other one. It's I don't know. It's a little strange. Um, And then, of course, there's folks just trying to buy a house and they're looking at whatever their neighborhood school is like people make decisions based on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, preparing for this. I was looking back at that proposed slate of schools to close back in uh, 2021. And it was disheartening to see that the neighborhood school where I live is on the list. Um, Oh, my God, it is. Yeah. So this school a couple blocks from my house that, as you know, like parenthood is on the horizon. It's been nice to know there was a school. When you need it. A few blocks away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And now I don't know whether or not that's going to exist. So what's the
2: timeline for these decisions?
1: Yeah, so the superintendent, Wayne Walters, says his administration will present some consolidation plans um, to the school board at the start of next year. It sounds like they've got to get through you know, current budget stuff first, and then they'll turn <laughs> their attention to this. One crisis at a time.
0: plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep you happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Moving on, there have been some updates in the labor fights at several Pittsburgh area organizations. First, one that is very near and dear to us, the Post-Gazette. Mallory, we keep turning to you. Uh, (laughs) Do you want to catch us up on what's going on with them? I've been keeping my eye on the news this week. Um, I love it. Yeah. So PG writers
1: and production workers have been on strike for an entire year. Crazy. The writers walked out on October 18th, just a couple weeks after PG press workers, mailers, drivers, and advertising folks.
2: I know they had a rally a couple weeks ago on the North Shore. It looks like they got a really good turnout at that rally in yeah. support of
1: them. Yeah, there were actually a lot of politicians there. Um, so the Communication Workers of America, which is the parent organization of the Newspaper Guild, they're arguing for raises. Um, workers contend that they haven't gotten a raise since 2006, and they've also been working without a contract since 2017.
0: And another big part of this strike, of course, is about health care coverage.
1: Yeah. So the strike paper, the Pittsburgh Union Progress, um, they've been reporting on their own situation continuously since last year when all this started. Um, all of this kind of kicked off when PG's parent company, Block Communications, decided not to cover healthcare increases, which would have been about $19 a week for each person.
0: Which like sounds inconsequential, but like really matters when you're, you know, a worker who's, you know, you're pinching pennies, you're saving up, you're trying to maintain any kind of nest egg. Yeah, um, that really adds up. And it's so absurd to see in writing in this way because the blocks are billionaires. They have spent way more on legal fees at this point than they ever would have to just cover these very basics and healthcare care premiums for the people who work for them. Hearing that is super shocking to me. And uh, this is from
2: the About page for the Pittsburgh Union Progress, quote, The workers demand post-gazette management rescind the illegally imposed unilateral working conditions, restore the status quo set by the terms of the 2014 to 2017 collective bargaining agreement, return to the table to bargain in good faith for a successor agreement and restore health care coverage for press workers, production and advertising workers.
0: The Trib also had a story this week that you know kind of summed all of this up and said that it kind of feels like it's all at a little bit of a standstill. Um, there's so little happening that everyone is kind of waiting on the National Labor Relations Board to get involved and sort it out. But that can take years to shake out.
1: Yeah, it's moving so slow. Um, an NLRB judge ruled in January that PG management violated labor laws because they weren't bargaining in good faith. And in March, the PG appealed that decision. And that's kind of it at this point. Um, They did have a bargaining session in September, but Pittsburgh Union Progress reported that didn't go anywhere. So we're a year in and it's not really clear how this is going to resolve.
2: Okay, so on to another union update. So this (laughs) is new. Nurses at Allegheny General Hospital voted this week to issue a 10-day strike notice. So there is a possibility of a strike happening if management doesn't meet demands. So nurses are asking for a $40 minimum wage and raises that are appropriate with uh, experience.
1: I mean, isn't there already a nursing shortage in Pennsylvania? Like, this doesn't really seem like the time for companies to be splitting hairs
0: over wages. I've heard that complaint before and a lot recently, especially in regard to signing bonuses and stuff that you know kind of cropped up during the pandemic and I think a little bit before. Like newer employees can sometimes get higher pay or sign on bonuses. But the folks that have been there and supported the company and been present with patient care, they don't always get those same rewards, like no raises, no bonuses. And it can really suck to feel like you're stuck in that position, especially in a job like nursing, where you're already giving like so much of yourself day to day to day.
2: Yeah, exactly. And nurses are also saying that these higher salaries could definitely help with the shortages, too.
0: But this is just part of the union negotiations, I think. Um, And I guess it doesn't mean that they're striking for sure. Like authorizing a strike and actually going on strike are two very different moves. Mm -hmm. But if this does happen, there would be a lot of people on
2: strike. Between nurses and nurse practitioners, there are more than 1,200 people in the union at Allegheny General Hospital.
0: I think it's worth mentioning too that these conversations and you know labor discussions are happening all across our city right now. Um, just to name a few in the last year, WabTech, Starbucks, the University of Pittsburgh, Humane Animal Rescue, the Carnegie Museums, Duquesne Light, our office cleaners, our library workers, they have all been talking about fair contracts and representation. So this is definitely a part of a much bigger trend, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think both
1: here locally and nationwide. True, yeah. yeah, I think especially the pandemic, made a lot of people really realize their worth and how essential they are. Or they went from being Mm -hmm. called essential to...
0: Actually feeling it and using that confidence to demand their rights. Right. I was going to say they were celebrated as essential (laughs) and then not offered anything um,
1: to acknowledge that really. And so uh, it seems like there is the kind of this nationwide
0: demand for people to be paid. Yeah, I mean, even close to what they're worth. Exactly. Common for low unemployment rates for stuff like this to shake out, but still. Anyway, last one for now. Um, if you want to support our local film workers union, um, these are folks who are still affected by the Hollywood SEC after strikes. Um, you can check out the Solidarity Market on Saturday. It's from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Sinali Studios in Warrendale, and you'll be able to browse all kinds of stuff. Um, there's film and TV memorabilia, production demos, handmade art and goods and other stuff. Um, and they're also doing tours of the studio and they'll have food trucks there. Sounds like fun.
1: Yeah. And I mean, not just browse, you can actually purchase Oh, this, yes, and yes, Your yes. money is uh, going <laughs> toward a good cause.
2: You had me at film and TV memorabilia. <laughs> Last month, we did an episode about why Pennsylvania wants funding for hydrogen hubs with Spotlight PA reporter Kate Huangpu.
1: Yeah, if you missed it, hydrogen hubs are kind of what they sound like, places where hydrogen gets produced. Um, And the idea, the reason there's some excitement around this is that it would be a cleaner source of energy production than burning fossil fuels. Yeah, because
2: when hydrogen is burned, there aren't any carbon emissions that are released.
1: Yeah, so the federal government announced $7 billion in grant funding for hubs. Um, A bunch of states submitted bids to get in on the action, including Pennsylvania.
2: And the update on this is that Biden just announced where the hubs will be located. Mallory, do you want to break the news?
1: Yeah, so uh, how you feel about this news probably depends on where you stood at the end of our episode on hydrogen hubs, which we'll link in the show notes so you can check it out. Um, Pittsburgh's proposal did not get approved, but there will be two hubs in our region. Um, Brace yourself for these names. One is called the Appalachian Regional Clean Hydrogen Hub or ARCH2. And then the other is the Mid-Atlantic Clean Hydrogen Hub, or Mach 2. Those names are just ridiculous.
2: They sound like robots. I'm thinking like
1: laser eyes and everything. (laughs) I don't know if that was intentional to make this all sound futuristic and exciting. Um, But anyway, um, Mach 2 will be based in the eastern part of the state and then Arch 2 is going to be based in West Virginia, although it'll also reach parts of Ohio, Kentucky and then southwestern Pennsylvania. Um, This hub in particular was awarded almost a billion dollars in federal funding And according to the Business Times, Pittsburgh will still be a big player because uh, the natural gas company EQT, that's a founding partner of Arch 2, is headquartered here
0: in Pittsburgh. So should Pittsburgh be bummed or nah? Yeah. (laughs) So in terms of jobs, there's some disappointment.
2: WESA reported that southwestern Pennsylvania could still get you know, 150 to 550 jobs in aviation and truck fuel. And this was based on a presentation from Arch 2. And that's still a lot fewer jobs, though, than
1: if the hub was in our region. And there are still some environmental concerns related to these hubs. Um, When we talked to Kate, she talked about how Different, I'm going to like try to summarize this quickly, but different kinds of hydrogen um, are more or less environmentally friendly. There's a whole rainbow. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, there's an entire rainbow of colors, including blue, which is not quite as environmentally friendly, but is the kind that's going to be produced at this hub in West Virginia. And so for that, you're using
0: methane to get hydrogen and there's some carbon emissions connected to that. Um, But it's on the front end. So there's no carbon emissions when we burn it later for energy, but there's sort of a cost to its creation.
1: Exactly. Um, And so, you know, those, the idea is that you can capture those emissions and store them, you know, deep underground in injection wells. And that way they're not getting released into the atmosphere and contributing to climate change.
0: But Um, then you have to worry about the wells themselves and that nothing leaks.
1: Exactly. And I think that, you know, that was a concern was... Does Pennsylvania, does West Virginia in this case, do these states have the protections and the power in Mm -hmm. place to ensure that things aren't going to leak from these wells um, to even ensure that this capture process happens so that this is, in fact, a more environmentally friendly practice than burning fossil fuels? Because if it's not done right, then there isn't the same benefit.
0: Yeah. And I've seen these hubs compared to fracking, at least in the way that we just sort of jumped on the trend really, really quickly um, to our economic benefit. But then there are concerns afterwards about the safeguarding and the regulations, because when you pursue a technology first and regulate it later, it can get messy. Yeah. So, you know,
1: we our episode really broke down where things stood with Pennsylvania lawmakers and regulations. Now that I know the one near us is going to be in West Virginia, I'm going to be interested to see what, if any, protections
0: and safeguards they have in place. So last up, we have talked about the deer hunting efforts in Frick and Riverview parks here in the city to attempt to cull deer population. Um, it's now been underway for a few weeks, kicked off September 30th. Sophia, I know you were keeping track at least those first couple of weekends. What, what do we know?
2: Yeah, so the first weekend was not that successful, in my opinion, considering all the <laughs> buzz around it. WESA reported that hunters killed four deer, one in Frick and three in Riverview, and um, that was a lot of meat, though. Uh, 100... I mean, deer are big. That's yeah, a lot of, yeah. <laughs> you get a lot of meat off a of deer. <laughs> uh, that was 160 pounds of meat that were donated to
0: food banks. But the goal that's one of
1: the requirements of the program, right? That the first kill had to get donated.
0: And mm-hmm. they're all bow hunted. They're not they're not being shot at by guns within city limits. That's not happening.
2: Yeah, but that was a little surprising to me to hear that only four deer had been killed that first week because uh, I had read that the goal was to kill 30 to 90 deer. 30 to 90
0: is a really big range too. (laughs) But either number is substantially more than four. Certainly. Um, We emailed the city um, yesterday for an update and it looks like the last few weeks have been a lot better. So as of this week, archers have bagged 33 deer. So we have now met, I guess that bare minimum requirement 27 of them were donated to food banks. It makes me wonder what was wrong with those other six deer Um, for a total of 1,080 pounds of meat. The city says that that represents um, 4,320 meals, I guess, for meat-eating families. (laughs) Game is not the most delicious thing in the world to me personally. So, um, Godspeed to those who are trying to make the best with deer meat right now. I don't think I've ever had deer meat. I had a teacher once who made us venison stew, and
1: I think that was the first and only time I've ever had it.
0: It, I mean, it's fine, and it can be quite good, but it does require a little bit more effort to make palatable if all you're used to is like beef or chicken or something like that. Well, there's still a few weeks to go to reach that 90 deer
2: mark. Uh, Allegheny County's archery hunting season goes until December 9th, and then there's another round from December 26th to January 27th, but that doesn't include
0: Sundays and we looked it up that is close to the state season for bow hunting but not exactly the same so definitely be mindful of the rules in your area and of course these bow hunters were all specially certified true true so if you want to go through the city please inquire about that process officially do not go rogue That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our music is by Benji. Mallory Falk is our team leader. Our producers this week were Sophia Lowe, Lizzie Goldsmith, and Elizabeth Kama. Francesca DeBecco writes our newsletter, and I'm your host, Megan Harris. We'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend, everyone.
1: Your hair matches. Your sweater. (laughs) My... Sweater picks up your orange, and we've all got the black. Like if you
0: two had worn those outfits yesterday, or Francesca and I wore our sweaters from yesterday, we would legit all match. Yeah,
1: we should coordinate one day.